We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to an off-season edition of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. It is Monday, October 3rd. We just watched your Oklahoma City Thunder fall on the road at Real Madrid. Uh, okay, watched is, is maybe putting it a little too strong. Had it on in the background while we were actually working and doing other stuff. You made it seem like we were watching with like I was popcorn. Watching. Were you not and watching? I was I watching. Was, yeah, I'm, I'm on the clock right now, which does actually so include watching games. Uh, maybe it's because I'm really sad. I did not like what I saw. <laughs> I saw a bunch of guys trying really hard from Oklahoma, and maybe that's not what I want to see is them go down. I know Russ didn't play that much at the end of the game, but in terms of team composition, in terms of who's going to score when this team needs it, uh, didn't like what I saw. I think they'll be fine. Um, Real Madrid, for what it's worth, is a pretty no, good don't team. Even try, don't even try okay, to get well, into no, it. I mean, I was, I'm chiding you a little bit about this, obviously. OKC's not throwing out their full rotation, you know, as far as how guys are going to be used. Russ did play the whole first quarter, didn't play toward the end. They went into overtime. Uh, Real Madrid went 20 of 37 from three. That's a little over 54%. 
Uh, and this is a team that has some legit names. You know, this is, they didn't just go lose to, I don't, I don't even know who else to compare it to, but <laughs> we're looking at Gustavo Ione, Trey Tompkins, a former great player in the SEC, Rudy Fernandez, Sergio Yule, who I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, who else? Oh, Anthony Randolph is on that team. So you know it's legit. Are you ready to say that the Thunder, after watching that game, are going to have a hard time making the playoffs? Like, for those no, people that were no, slotting no, the Thunder not back... taking in... anything away from this game. Okay, all right. Nothing. Zero things away from this game. Okay. Um, I'm glad yeah, you're more, not. More or less, like, these, especially these first preseason games, are just it's just fun to, to see the new faces in new places more than anything else. You know, and seeing Ursan in action in a Thunder uniform. Obviously, Oladipo out there with Westbrook. Oladipo had a massive, massive poster dunk. Uh, near the end of this game that by the time you're listening to this podcast, if you've been on Twitter in the last couple hours, you probably will have seen. Uh, but more preseason action on the slate uh, later tonight. I believe Bucks and Bulls is on NBA TV, so I'm looking forward to Why to are they that. playing in the preseason? I guess it's just proximity. Proximity. For the, yeah, I mean, the, for two teams that play four times during the year, yeah. why didn't you go play a team they only play know. twice? I, mean, it's, I don't think it's quite like the NFL where you're so worried about you know divulging secrets or, or whatever for future matchups. Um, but a lot of it, you know, at least... You know, I've focused mostly on the Bucks over these last few years. You know, they'll play when they had Nate Walters on the team. They went and played a game in it was either North Dakota or South Dakota because he went to he went to South Dakota State. Wait a second, they um, moved a whole like a, a whole franchise like made plans around Nate Walters that actually happened. Well, it seemed like more than a commitment, right, or more than a coincidence. Uh, you know, to play a game out there and and well, it's just you know they know that they'll get a nice draw. You know, it's a way to kind of bring basketball, I guess, to an area that that doesn't otherwise have it. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, it's usually what <laughs> it's like, I mean, it sounds like it's, it's almost like they did a charity work here. Like no, the, the great of. people of the, you know, North and South Dakota, just like, we got to bring basketball to them, bring them to well, the no, I mean, a lot of teams, it kind of is like that. I mean, the, the jazz just played a, a scrimmage at a local high school the other day. I mean, it's, it's just more of, it's kind of a barnstorming tour in a lot of ways. Uh, but let's talk NBA, uh, more broadly, the Warriors are 0 and 1. Uh oh. Yeah. Hey, I'm Warriors looking, fell to the Raptors yesterday. I'm, I'm reading way too much into the preseason, <laughs> and I like it. Um, did you watch any of that game? I, that I, was that would have been Saturday, correct? Uh, was it Saturday? It was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. You're right. Wow, these days are blending together. Yeah. So, uh, did uh, you get to catch any of it on Saturday? Uh, I watched just a little, a very baby, tiny bit of it. Nice to see Damari Carroll starting out the season, yep. starting. Really, honestly, that's the only thing I took away from it is that, you know, if he's playing right now, he's starting right now, then he should be good to go. As somebody who's been dealing, you know, with, I, I guess, those knee issues, and, and you would like to see him how he was two years ago with Atlanta, if he could carry that over and bring that to the Raptors for a full 82 games, or at least the course of the mm-hmm. season. Beyond that, uh, you know, I'm a little snake bit by seeing Kevin Durant in a Warriors jersey this, this was very real you know i mean it, it was weird when he held the jersey up at the introduction back in july it was even weirder seeing him at media day you know goofing around with you know steph and and, and clay and draymond and the, and the rest of that crew uh but now seeing it in game action is, is even stranger um and it's, it's one of those things that's going to take a while to me like seeing lebron go to miami in that new uniform like wasn't as drastically shocking for whatever reason maybe it's because the Cavs wore like 70 different jerseys over his last couple of years in Cleveland and it just seemed like he was in a new one all the time uh but KD you know seeing number 35 I guess uh with the with Golden State is going to take a while to get used to not too much to take away from that game you know Durant didn't shoot it overly well didn't play all that much Steph Curry appeared to care maybe not at all about this game I don't know if you were watching during the time where he 
forced Andre Iguodala into a turnover by posing as, uh, I don't even know how to describe this. So Curry's on the bench at this time, and he, Andre Iguodala is kind of running a, a mini fast break, and Curry stands up on the bench and starts clapping for the ball as if he's going to shoot a corner three. Obviously, Iguodala passes it to him, not realizing he's out of bounds. So that's, that shows you how if much. If you're wondering care. how seriously the Warriors took this first game and this first loss, uh, that probably answers it. Yeah, and in my response to that, I'll, I'll respond in kind as saying, "Let's move on to some bigger, better stuff." Because yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, what I take away is those guys that were dealing with injuries. Are they back out there playing? Mm-hmm. I mean, Carroll played almost 20 minutes. I love to see that. Like that quite a bit. In terms of fantasy, I mean, I think the Raptors are going to give him as many minutes as he can handle. Maybe he could return and be one of those guys that's stuffing the stat sheet all the way across the board to the point where you have to give him a little bit of attention because he's helping you everywhere. Am I ready to commit, you know, commit my future fantasy teams to Damari Carroll? No. I hope not. No, not at all. That would be a pretty bold strategy. Um, no, I, I'm with you on Carroll. That's, you know, that was kind of the if you really want to start digging for quote-unquote news, you know, in these uh, in these preseason games, that's kind of what you have to resort to, but um, you know, I think you don't really remember with, with how much Carroll played last season that he, you know, even when he was on the court, he was never close to 100%. And I think that was very evident toward the end of the year, uh, the way that he was pretty much unable to, to control LeBron whatsoever in that, in that Eastern Conference final series. Uh, you know, sometimes, like, you, you, you think of something that comes back to you, like the memory just floods back to you, and, it, and you yes. realize that you had been suppressing that memory. It just happened to me with this game. JaVale McGee's rat tail. Mm. Business in the front, party in the back, but like a really bad party with just like three I dudes. Even say party, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know what like business in the front, like just that's just what. Unfortunately, that's going to be the takeaway from this game. I, I suppressed it for I guess one or two days, but I mean now I have to live with that for. Uh, man, I'm young, so the rest of my life. Yeah, uh, questionable decision by him. Certainly not necessarily a surprising decision to to do whatever that was. Uh, but it's early, you know, I and mean, who knows what that's going to look like in a month or four months or, or, or what have you. I don't, I don't really know what to expect. It's too early to read into JaVale McGee's rat tail. If, if he makes the team, you got to think that you're going to see lots of Snapchats of Draymond Green, like holding a scissors while he's sleeping on the airplane. Like, Oh, should I that do it? Should I not do it? Deal. It's like JaVale, you can either cut the rat tail and make the team or keep the rat tail and we're waving you. And he'll he would take like five days to make that decision. Yeah, maybe it's a ploy by him just to be like a funny fifteenth man off possible. the bench. I mean, the celebrations you can do with a rat tail. I mean, just it's just it, endless though, like, world. If Javale McGee makes this team, we are a Zaza Pachulia injury and a v- Anderson Vergeau injury, which seems very likely away from from Javale McGee possibly starting at center for arguably the best team of all time if you're looking for an in it's javel it's through yeah. javel mcgee's rat tail right i mean if you're not rooting for javel to make this roster i don't know what to tell you but real quickly on damari carroll um you know we talk about toronto and at least i've kind of criticized toronto in some ways for not really improving this roster all that much i mean you lose your best rim protector you replace him with jared sullinger who is a productive player and a fine player and an upgrade over Luis scola uh, but the depth on this team is sketchy. You know, you don't know what, really what you're going to get from Jakob Pertl in year one. Um, you know, maybe he's more f- further along than than at least a lot of people expect. You know, as an experienced college player, but I don't know if it's quite fair to expect him to, you know, kind of match the impact I guess that that Bismack Biombo made for this team, especially late in the year. Um, so if you're, if I'm Toronto, you know, it, you look at this team and say, you know, we're probably locked into the top three or four in the East, but. Did we improve enough to really, really mount a challenge to Cleveland or, or even Boston? 
The answer to me is still no, but having Damari Carroll back at 100% compared to 70%, you know, should be a bigger boost for this team than maybe we realize. Yeah, I, I think the loss of power forward is going is gonna to be an issue where you could slot Biombo in there. That's been their issue for like six years now. They, they just, they I would argue that this... Patrick Patterson, like if you started Patrick Patterson there, I think this well, team might function a little better than Jared I think so Jared too, but I think they like him off the bench for whatever reason. You know, it's not like they're playing him. I guess they, they do play him at small ball center every now and then. You know, the ability to stretch the floor, which Sullinger can stretch the floor, but not necessarily all the way out to three like, you know, like Patterson can. Yeah, I, I mean, I see that as a as a bad. I mean, I guess well, it, it's really tough because Carroll can, you know, play down, maybe play some power forwards in this league. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that would be the small ball five scenario. I, I agree, though, Nick. I, I think that Boston is going to surpass Toronto to be that legitimate, that bona fide second-best team in the East, far behind the Cavs, but still nonetheless head and shoulders above some of the other teams in the East. If we're talking about, you know, uh, I mean, throw a, basically any other team in the East, the Knicks, uh, the Bucks, the Heat, teams like that, I think your Boston, your Torontos are going to be better. Um, but I'm definitely going to give Boston the slight edge, especially with the addition of Al Horford. Love the Amir Johnson Al Horford combo uh, in the in the front court. I, I mean, you've got your offense, you've got your defensive backbone. The things that Brad Stevens is going to be able to do in terms of playing uh, somebody like Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, smaller than you what traditionally they would play. Uh, I like that a whole lot. Um, but once again, we're kind of sitting here looking at this Eastern Conference and saying, "Here's your top." three teams. I think we can we can tars, or purse out those three teams and then going from there, you know, it's a big jump it's a big jumble. We'll throw them all up however you want. If the Pacers are a legitimate four seed in the East, wouldn't be surprised. If they're fighting for their life at the end of the season for that A spot in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised as well. So this East has a lot to figure out. Um, I mean in terms of finding somebody who's gonna rise above and challenge Boston and challenge Toronto, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable really designating any one team to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, overall the East is slightly stronger than last year, maybe. It, it's still, uh, it, you know, we can go back and forth about this forever. We, you know, everybody's been talking about, the, you know, the, the East versus West and, you know, what, what, that, what that means, I guess, overall. But part of it, what it comes down to is just whatever team LeBron is on, it almost, it just sets like a new standard, I guess, for the Eastern Conference. Like if LeBron James is not, in the league if you just remove him entirely are we talking about the eastern conference as this drastically weaker conference or does it not pale in comparison so much to the west when you don't have one guy who you know is kind of so untouchable or at least has been for the last six or seven years i mean i I hate the chatter i hate to talk about like we need to find a way to make this fair was it two or three years ago when phoenix had a better record than you know more than half of the teams in the eastern conference and they didn't make the playoffs in the west because the west was so strong guess what those days are kind of over now we've kind we're closer towards more equilibrium i mean it ebbs and flows There'd be times, I mean, I think in the late 90s, you could argue that the East was maybe stronger than the West, depending on some of those Lakers teams. But still, I think until Shaq went to the Lakers and until Duncan became Duncan with the Spurs, that was probably definitely the case. I mean, the Bulls obviously ruled the NBA in the East for most of the 90s. Um, But I, I just think whatever team, you know, LeBron is on has traditionally dominated the East. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to to call out the you know a team like the Celtics or the Raptors and say you know they're they're a, a trash number two or number three seed just because they're not quite as good as as this kind of LeBron super team. But that said, I, I think there's no there's no real way to argue that there isn't more top end talent in the West. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. But there's only three teams where back, you know, even last year, two oh, years right. before, we were saying, oh, maybe there's six or seven teams that are, like, really, really good. But I and think it all depends on, like, how good the favorite is, you know? Like, when Golden State is sitting up, up top the West, you look and say, like, there's only two teams that you could really, really see mounting somewhat of a serious challenge, and that's the Clippers and the Spurs. And somewhat of a serious challenge might even be strong. You know, if, if you take LeBron out of this Cavaliers team, there's like seven teams that you could see maybe winning the East. If you take, and this sounds just ridiculous, if you take Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant off of the Warriors, <laughs> you know, then then all of a sudden there are, there are several, several teams in the West too. So I think that it's more of a how good is the rest of the conference relative to the favorite uh, you know, when you're talking about how many teams are actually in contention. Well, guess what, Nick? We always get to decide this. One game every year decides this. NBA All-Star Game 2017 in New Orleans. Yep. Thank goodness we have a firm marker to decide yep. who's better at the East or the West. Yep. Can't wait, baby. That's Cannot wait. Yeah, if you're, an, you know, if you're a basketball fan, if you're a basketball analyst, whatever, I mean, you look at the All-Star Game and that is the one thing that determines. I mean, we, we, we like pose these theoretical situations, these theoretical questions, but at least with this, this, this question we do finally get an answer one time a year right all right um ben simmons bad news this was really bad news i was i was so devastated to see this i think it broke on friday ben simmons expected to miss about three months um this although the sixers are really yet to give a firm you know they really haven't given a whole lot of information on this situation and and that is fair you know being uh, you know, a player of the profile of Ben Simmons, but from what it sounds like, expected to miss about three months. That puts him back late December. I would say probably early to mid January is a little more realistic. This is not a team that has any incentive to rush Ben Simmons back. Um, you know, this is it's a tough setback, especially with the relative momentum that the Sixers have going into this year. Like, if you're a Sixers fan, these last couple of years, like, you, what, why would you want to go to the home opener, you know? But now, like, you know you don't have a good team, but, you know, I, I would love to go watch all these guys, and there's just so much talent on this roster. You take away, you know, in my opinion, the, you know, the highest upside piece on this roster. I mean, you could argue Joel Embiid is no, right, you're right there as you're well, right. but, but the injuries with him are so much of a question mark. Um, you know, the nice thing is this isn't, this isn't like a torn ACL, you know, he's not going to miss an entire season. So at least you can, you know, you can say, all right, if we can stick it out for three months, things are going to get really fun come mid January, but still concerning. Nonetheless, you know, there's some questions about, did he gain too much weight? And now there's too much stress on this foot. Um, you know who really knows? I don't think there's a definitive way to prove that. Uh, I, I think the 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 early comments coming out of Philadelphia is that it whatever, whatever the exact terminology was is that it was not like weight bearing related, mm. and then it was just like something like a break, just like a break. Um, some other players that have dealt with fifth metatarsal fractures, Nick. Just in case people out there are looking for comparison, you know, is this going to affect him for the rest of his career? Um, maybe how long this season will it affect him? Um, I mean, the most famous one, Kevin. Durant Durant, somebody who dealt with a uh, fifth metatarsal injury, uh, Pau Gasol, uh, let's see, CJ McCollum, Brooke Lopez, all those guys are back playing in full. Uh, Brooke Lopez, you know, we were almost ready to write off his career um, to say this guy's going to be riddled with injuries. He's had two straight seasons of playing, I believe, at least 72 games, 70-ish games. I mean, that's that's enough to prove two straight seasons that, you know, he's overcome those foot injuries. Uh, Reggie Evans, another name. I mean, there, there are a lot of names out there, Brandon Jennings, who have come back from this injury and have been perfectly fine. So if you're looking at the, um, the broader spectrum, of uh, Simmons's career, I think he'll be okay. 
Um, but I mean, there are some entertaining questions that we certainly can get into like rookie of the year. I mean, a lot of people were essentially penciling him in, uh, over Brandon Ingram, over Buddy Heald, over everybody else, because he was going to be so involved, not only from a scoring aspect, a defense aspect, but from a passing the ball, like he was going to run point guard for a team in the NBA right out of the gates okay. at somebody his size. Um, so rookie of the year, I think it's wide open. Do you have any f- early favorites for me? I think I might say somebody like Buddy Heald. Now, that's granted. If he's able to get his shot down and just kind of figure it out within the first, I know this is a short time period, but five to ten games, he's going to get to playing time. There's just going to be so many minutes available in New Orleans that if somebody like him can just figure it out quickly and like gets to the point to where he's, you know, like he's, you know, already a legitimate player in the NBA, I think he could take this thing and run away with it. I'm a little afraid of Luol Dang. Um, being too solid and, and I mean he's going to start over Brandon Ingram at small forward so I, I would love to say Brandon Ingram simply because Ingram was drafted ahead of of Heald and seems to have more upside but I'm not sure the playing time is going to break in Ingram's favor like it is for somebody like Buddy Heald right and that's really what makes Buddy Heald I think a strong candidate is the minutes are going to be there I mean this is a a depleted New Orleans roster, uh, one that's sorely in need of three-point shooting. And, you know, if there's one thing that Buddy Heald is going to be counted on to do right away, it's, you know, launch from three. And I don't know if he's going to have, you know, I think he's going to have the green light basically at all times when he's on the court. Didn't shoot it all that well or really well at all um, during, you know, during the the NBA Summer League out in Vegas. But to me, you can kind of throw that out. I mean, any league that Josh Selby has won the MVP of uh, (laughs) doesn't really count for all that much to me. Uh, But yeah, as far as Rookie of the Year, uh, only four players in the last 30 years uh, have won the Rookie of the Year while missing more than 10 games. Um, And of those four, three missed 12 games exactly. MCW missed 12 uh, in 2014. Damon Stoudemire missed 12 in 96. Grant Hill, who was a co-Rookie of the Year um, with Jason Kidd, missed 12 in 95. So that's kind of the baseline. If you miss any more than 12 games, there's only one guy in the last 30 years who's won the Rookie of the Year doing that. And that was Brandon Roy in 2007. And that that was more of a, you know, Brandon Roy was really good um, despite missing all that time. But uh, the number two, the runner-up in the voting who received one first-place vote was Andrea Bargnani. So it was more of a historically bad rookie class. And a lot of these guys, um, you know, Millsap, Aldridge, Rudy Gay, um, you know, looking further down, Rondo was in that class. Like, all the, a lot of those guys ended up being better later in their careers. But it was just a very, very weak, weak rookie year uh, or rookie class as far as production. So, you know, I don't know if we'll see that again. Uh, but Simmons is going to have to play really, really well now over these final whatever it'll be, you know, 50, 55 games if, you, if he's going to be named Rookie of the Year. In the long term, you know, who really cares? But I think you're taking the odds-on favorite out of this race. Buddy Heald is up there now. I like Chris Dunn, especially if Minnesota moves Ricky Rubio at any point. And the other guy to me is Joel Embiid. He's technically a rookie, right? Like, he's in on this. Hasn't played a game. Was Robert Griffin or Robert Griffin, Blake Griffin, a, yeah. a rookie when he came back? He won the rookie of the year. Oh, well, there you go. Um, the depth in the front court scares me. I mean, unfortunately, getting Simmons out of the way is going to help that a little bit. But you still have Dario Saric is another guy yeah. that really people haven't even been talking about. We've been talking about Embiid, Okafor, and Noel. But guess what? You got Saric, who's proven himself pretty well. He seems to be running with more so the first-team offense during these you know, scrimmages and whatnot. It's always hard to tell. And then Simmons, of course, when he comes back, he can play power forward. Uh, so, yes, I think that Embiid could win Rookie of the 
year under the major stipulation that one or two of these front court players are dealt. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're going to see Sarge play on the ball a little bit more now. That's the skill that he has, not to the level of Simmons in terms of ball handling and you know end to end playmaking. But um, and if you look at tape of Sarge, he's more than more than comfortable grabbing a rebound, bringing it up. You know, he's a great great passer in the half court. Um, and Philadelphia just doesn't have a ton of high upside talent at point guard. You know, they they have some depth there now at least uh, with Jared Bayless and and the veteran who did they bring over from Spain. Um, Sergio Rodriguez, Rodriguez, he, um, who apparently has looked good in training camp. Yeah, as well. No, I mean so. those are fine names, but you know they're not looking to those guys as future pieces, really. You know, so I, I think you know why not try Dario Saric at, at, on the ball a little bit more. You know, experiment. This is kind of an experimental year in a lot of ways, um, and certainly once Simmons is back, we'll see him handling the ball plenty as well. Uh, Chris Bosh. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, so this situation has kind of slowly escalated I guess for a number of months and it's picked up recently they kind of remain in an impasse Uh, Chris Bosh and the Heat uh, impasse probably putting it lightly Heat are saying his career is over his career in Miami at least is over Bosh vehemently uh, doesn't seem to agree with that he's producing a three-part documentary uh, the first part of which came out last week um it's such a tough situation, you know, with it being a, you know, in many ways a life or death situation health-wise. It's tough to criticize the Heat for not clearing him, but when you look at the numbers and say there's a nearly $80 million incentive for Chris Bosh to retire for the Miami Heat, um, you know, you can kind of see where Bosh is coming from. It's tough. I mean, there's a lot. We can break it down if we want. But if he medically retires, which it seems like you've alluded to me at least, and which seems logical, is the Heat would, would prefer him to medically retire. But the issue with that is if he ever comes back and plays at least 25 games, then that Nolan Voys, the, the – Well, let's break it down. We can, we can take a look at yeah, the options. And, and hat tip to – I believe it was Tom Ziller for SB Nation wrote a really nice breakdown over the weekend uh, of – kind of this entire situation and how it can be addressed. Um, but one, you know, one option is that he can just buy out the remaining, it's just about $79 million, uh, on Bosch's deal over the next three seasons. Uh, the pro in that situation is both sides kind of move on, you would think, amicably. You know, Bosch gets his money. Uh, the Heat are able to kind of wash their hands of him on the roster. Not that they necessarily want to erase the Chris Bosch era uh, in Miami, but... Um, you know, this just kind of eliminates that cloud, I guess, that's kind of over the franchise right now. The con is the heat still, like that money still counts against the cap. So just because you're buying someone out, Bosch is getting his $79 million, it's still counting against your cap. I think this is my preferred option. I'll let you break down the other options in a, in a minute here. But I think just cutting ties, letting letting things go both ways. I mean, you can buy out at a percentage of it, and I'm not sure if the cap, even if it still does hit at 100%, if, you're not, if your medics aren't going to clear him to play, I mean, then basically it's a cap hit to begin with. It's a walking cap hit. He's on your bench and he's a cap hit. So either he's in your organization and he's affecting your cap or he's not in your organization and he's not affecting you or he's still affecting your cap. At this point, I think, you know, it's three years. It stinks. Uh, but I, I, the other options you go that you're about to go over, I just, don't, I just don't know why they would be logical or why anybody would pursue them. I think you just need to, you know, it's a bad situation, but these two parties in particular need to separate and move away from each other. Well, you- yes, they're both going to be burned but that's the type of situation it is 
I think they would be more than happy to negotiate a buyout if Bosch had one year left on his deal. I think the danger for if you're Miami and the reason that they won't do this is if you commit to a three year buyout, um, you know, yet, like you said, it's it's somewhat of a sunk cost either way. But once you commit to that buyout, um, you know, that money is just dead on your cap. There's, you know, there's. I think if you're Miami, you would rather trade him. You try to get something for him, get him off the books. Um, and the, and the big option, and we'll get to this in a second, is the medical retirement. That way, you know, Bosch is still able to to grab his pension as an NBA player. You know, he he gets paid out, I believe, a portion of that contract, but it doesn't count against the cap. Like, if you have a chance to save yourself twenty five million dollars in cap room over the next, you know, each of the next three years. Uh, you know, if you're Miami, you have to do that. I mean, that's huge going into next summer for a team that, you know, maybe more so than anybody is is preparing to be a buyer over these next few free agency periods. So, it, we know what, how Pat Riley operates. We know that this is this is maybe more so than any team in the NBA operated like a business um, and they're they're not in the business of, you know, just handing out 80 million dollars worth of goodwill. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess if you if you retain him on the roster, I mean, as of right now, somebody has to a doctor has to go out of their way, not go out of their way, but essentially deem him eligible to play. Maybe a team says, you know what, the team's medic says we think he's fine. Let's bring him on board. Is he still even worth that salary at this point? I I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's the big get, question. Yeah, he's not. Well, the thing is that he's not because but, he's also, so, but it's also not like a crippling. You have it's not going to gonna be so bad. That but here's the paying. thing that with money like you have to factor in risk. Risk. I mean, you have to factor that in, and because of that, he's not quite worth the contract that he signed for. He's just not. You have to factor no. in risk. No, of course not. I know you can't. But, put, he, but the contract's been signed. You know, like they're not going to renegotiate. Yeah, I, I just if if you're going to keep him on the books and you're going to keep him, then you're hoping that in a couple years or a year at some point, uh, the doctors will say, well, you know what, you're finally ready to play, and then another team will say, okay, right. or or you know they would just add them. But I mean, I think for this season, he's going to be hitting their cap, and he's going to be affecting their cap. Yeah. Oh, I mean, no matter what. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's. I mean, that unless they work something out. I mean, for this season, it doesn't really matter. I mean, free agency's over, or whatever. It's they're they're focused on. Uh, the summer of 2017 but you know another option they can trade Bosch um, in that scenario obviously the Heat are out from under that contract it's someone else's to deal with uh, another pro in that situation is Bosch gets to play and in this situation it would obviously take an independent doctor um, you know one who's agreed upon by both the Heat and the Players Association uh, to clear Chris Bosch the, the thing about a trade, and I think that that's what would make the most sense in a vacuum, you know, is if Miami doesn't want the money on the books and they don't want to assume the risk of playing a guy who could possibly die during a game, I mean, that's not that much of an exaggeration, as, as morbid as it is, um, you know, it's more of, you know, let, let another team deal with this. And, and, and if you're Miami, I think that kind of makes, the, like I said, the most sense when you're not considering the outside factors. Um, but the thing is, you got to find a team that's, one, willing to contradict Pat Riley and the Heat you know, basically what they're saying, like the Heat have said, we don't feel comfortable doing this. You know, they've kind of made it almost a morality type of issue. You'd have to be, you'd have to be the team to step up and say, oh, we'll take that risk. Right. Yeah. And I just don't know what team would do that. It would take a desperate team or it would take a team that's familiar with Chris Bosh and has, you know, a plan in place. I I don't think there's not a team out there that's going to just say, oh, we'll just grab Chris Bosh and, you know, hopefully nothing bad happens. Everyone, you know, Chris Bosh is a well-respected NBA player. No one's going to no one's going to be risky about this. I think but I think there are teams out there that say, "Okay, Chris Bosh insists he's healthy. You know, X doctor that we talked to has cleared him. 
Um, if we can put this plan in place, you know, maybe we sit him out certain times. He's on a strict regimen as far as making sure everything's good with the clots. I'm, if you can't tell, I'm not a blood clot expert. Uh, I don't really know how to protect against blood clots or what that entails, but certainly there are things you can do. And there's a reason that Bosch is willing to, you know, in some ways risk his life to return to the court. This season, Chris Bosch will be the 11th highest paid player in the NBA. So I don't sure. know why a team out there would say, you know what, let's go on and take that contract when next year in free agency, they could get, I don't know, basically the entire league if they wanted to. They could get Chris Bosch or they could get every the entire league minus 10 other players in the well, league. Well, I think so we're talking. I mean, we're talking a lot of players, Nick. We're talking yeah. Chris Paul is, could potentially be a free yeah. agent well, okay. at the end of well, the year. Well, that's not. I mean, Andre Drummond, Whiteside, Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal. Whiteside's not a free agent. No. Um, I'm just saying in terms of relatable contract, oh, I'm yeah. not sure why a team would want to take on Chris Bosh. I mean, let's just be honest here. Take him on. When in, when there's these caliber of players you could add for the same price you're or under cheaper. The, in this situation, though, you're under the belief that you're getting you know, at least 90% of what Chris Bosh was before he went down last season and that's why it's such a that's why it's such a kind of you know far-fetched idea i guess this trade because it's tough like i mean you're making good points it's just you know a team could talk themselves into this i think it would have to be a team um one a desperate team to a team that doesn't have an opportunity to spend this kind of money you know it's like there's a reason miami doesn't want him back because they can go get somebody better but you know, if you're a team like okc if you're a team like sacramento i don't know who else brooklyn like why not? You know, you're not going to sign any of these great free agents in the next few summers. And you, you know, you might as well take a chance on a guy like Chris Bosch that you would otherwise have no opportunity to get. I just, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't, don't see know. it either. I just think it, it's, it is on the table. It is an option. Uh, I don't, I just don't think, you know, you'd have to match salaries. There's that too. Like you'd have to be giving up a, a decent amount to get Chris Bosch as well, which I think would be hard for a lot of teams to do. Um, but the other option that the option that, I guess right now seems maybe the most likely unless they're able to talk Bosch into a buyout or, or Bosch is able to talk them into a buyout or a medical retirement is he's just there. You know, you just keep him and you treat him as a player who's dealing with a long-term injury. I think that's the route you go and you just kind of do go over it this three years. I just think you do the buyout and you just kind of move on. The heat, and the heat won't buy him out. Well, Guess guess who's on the books, not only this year, but last year, too, for $14 million with the Pistons? Josh Smith. Yeah. Josh Smith is on the books for $14 million, and he was fully healthy, and they decided to get rid of him. To get rid of somebody like Bosch, and yeah. I, I hate to say it so carelessly, but to to re, you know just to detach yourself from Chris Bosch and so he can do other things as well. I mean, $14 million, Detroit decided to do that. So so to say that you know just giving up that money and taking the cap hit, other teams have done it. I mean, it's not a far-fetched, it's not a far-fetched thing. There's a big difference, though. I mean, that's that's a difference of you know thirty five million over three years. I I don't know. I think, but it was it was three the, years. The it was about also four- weren't lining up for this huge twenty seventeen summer. I mean, there's there's also a reason the Heat let Dwayne Wade walk because you know in, it's kind of a similar situation where it's you know, like yeah we want like they don't they're not saying they didn't go into this offseason saying we need to get rid of Chris Bosh. It was just it's an opportunity cost thing and it's the same thing. It's the same situation with Wade in the medical retirement scenario. If the Heat are able to to talk. Bosch into this. Uh, Miami gets salary relief for 2017. The problem with that is Bosch, so Bosch would basically be on the retirement list. Um, but all it would take is for him uh, to get clearance from an independent doctor or whatever, whatever doctor, I guess it would be. And whether he would come back to the heat, which seems extremely unlikely, or go somewhere else, if he played 
25 games this coming season. That's the baseline. He has to reach 25 games this coming season or next season. All of a sudden, the Heat lose that salary relief, and it's back on the books. So conceivably, Bosch could sit out. You know, If he were to go on the retirement list, he'd be out this season, say nobody touches him. All of a sudden, next summer comes around, and he's in good shape. He gets clearance. The Heat go and spend big money on a couple free agents. I don't even know who that would be. Uh, and Bosch signs in San Antonio and plays 25 games, all of a sudden that, you know, that 24, 25 million that the Heat thought was off the books is back on and it's added on to whatever salary that they, you know, would have taken on via free agency. So the very confusing, confuddled process, but there is a scenario in which, you know, Miami is hit with a massive luxury tax bill because, you know, Bosch's retroactive salary would kind of be applied to whatever their salary situation is after next summer. And if you're a team in the Eastern Conference and this situation plays itself out, I'm the first person at Chris Bosch's doorstep, assuming everything medically checks out. If, if your team doctors said, yeah, we'll, we'll take him on, if anybody hires him, you better believe that he's going to play at least 25 games. Because not only do you have Chris Bosch available probably near like a minimum deal or just a couple million dollars a year, because that's what he would be on the market today uh, as of right now and maybe even in next year's offseason. He wouldn't, you know, he's just not going to ha- fetch that big of a salary not only would you be getting a good player for a discount uh, but you'd just be screwing the miami heat royally royally you'd be knocking out your competitor who's gonna have the uh cojones we'll say to to kind of do that to pat Riley. but here's the thing and if if there's any intimidation for hey you bet nobody better pick him up in the league saying you know he's decided to do this if anybody picks him up in the next two years you know know, then we're gonna hate you or something like that chris bosh if he gets any kind of wind of that sues the heat for right. millions and millions and well, millions of dollars more so than what his contract I is yeah worth. i mean i don't know if he could like directly sue the heat or basically it would be collusion among you know executives right. which would be a big deal uh yeah all right we'll wrap this up but the uh the most intriguing scenario for me and this is so wildly far-fetched that it would never happen is bosch bosch gets bought out or retires joins the cleveland cavaliers and becomes kind of the the sixth man off the bench for them well, yeah. If if he's if he detaches himself from the Heat, why wouldn't he go to a contender? Because, yeah. like I said, I don't think he'll be chasing money. I think he'll be chasing well, redemption via ring. Yeah, I, I don't think money would be number one for him necessarily. Uh, although this is a guy who has won two titles, you know, so it's not. I don't know if he's like has this insatiable desire to win, which uh, he still very well could. But if he's bought out, he's getting that money. Then you know, there, there in that scenario, you say, okay, maybe he'd go sign a minimum deal because first of all, the Cavs can only bring outside players on via minimum deal, so that's the only way that could work. Uh, but in, if he were to go on the retirement list and re-sign, in that scenario, you don't necessarily see him taking the minimum because even though he's not worth twenty-five million a year, he's still worth you know quite a bit more than a minimum player. Yeah, no, that's fair. I. I don't know. This is kind of a once of a one of a kind situation. Uh, a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. We're just kind of waiting for some key players to make key moves here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one option that you didn't talk about um, as well that seems just as far fetched as all these other options is that uh, Silver could just step in and say, "Yes, this is a one of a kind situation that may never come up again. We really haven't dealt with it." Here's just like a, you know what, we're just going to come in and resolve this. Find, you know, mediate between parties and just move on from this. I think it's moving toward that direction. Um, like you know, you said, Silver, this is, this is somewhat of an unprecedented situation. Yeah, and I honestly think that might be the best because, regardless of the the options that we listed, this is going to be 
around the league for three years because that's what his contract is. If Silver right. doesn't step in and something, that, you know, an exemption isn't given well, in some way, this is going to be hanging over the the league's head for three years because that's how much longer yeah. Bosch's contract is. Right, and whether that, he's traded have, or not, yeah. that's why they have to step in because they, you know, the Heat at this point, you know, don't have a ton of motivation outside of you know trying to trying to convince Bosch to to retire. Um, you know, to to act super quickly on this, but they don't. I mean, they don't want this to be a situation. I think if you're Adam Silver in the league office, where you know it just drags on for months and months, and like Chris Bosh is just perpetually questionable and is still feuding with the Heat, and it's you know it's the same situation going to pop up next summer too. Like I think, hopefully, before the start of the season, something is resolved here. But uh, I mean, it is such a touchy situation, you know, with with the severity of the of the medical issue that. It's hard to see it being resolved easily. Um, all right, let's do quick trivia. I only have two questions today. I'm cutting down the trivia. Quick indeed. Um, which was the only division not to have a 50-win team last season? Okay, not the Pacific Division because that's Correct. where the that's where the uh, Warriors reside. Uh, Northwest Division has the Thunder. Um, yep. So, and I think the Thunder had 50 wins last year. That they did. Um, so then, is it Southwest? Is that the third division in the Western Conference? Um, we have the Southwest, the Pacific, and the Northwest. Okay. Gosh, divisions. I could care less about divisions. Um, no, I, I think everybody's with you there. I think I... Okay, so the Central Division of the East, I'm trying to think. Central Division is out because the Cavs. Yes. Um, so you've got, gosh, what do they have? Southeast and then Atlantic? Yeah. Uh, Atlantic is going to have like the Knicks, the Knicks, Raptors. See, Raptors had the second best. Did they get to 60? I'll say a good job here. Process elimination. I'll say Southeast. Yes. All right. Southeast. So that's like the Hawks, Magic. Hawks and Hornets all at 48, Washington 41, Orlando 35. So, um, I didn't average these out, but they had the, the fifth place team in the Southeast, Orlando had the highest win total of any fifth place division finisher. So much more compact 13 games separating one sure. and five uh whereas if you look at the atlantic there was a 46 game difference between the raptors and <laughs> the 76ers um oh and a 56 game difference in the pacific between golden state and la all right which heisman trophy winner also played 11 seasons in the nba for the knicks spurs and rockets watching a bunch of college football this weekend wow uh, kind of got me in the zone for this heisman trophy winner oh, yeah. played 11 seasons in the nba yeah Oh, yeah, we're talking Larry Johnson, Allen Houston, Latrell Sprewell, Patrick Ewing, Aaron Nix. Huh. Charlie Ward. Okay. Charlie Ward, the 1993 Heisman Trophy winner, quarterback for Florida State. Fair there enough. You go. The more you know. All right, that'll wrap it up uh, for the RotoWire NBA podcast on this Monday. We'll be back later this week.